Before we get into this episode, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of which we're recording on. I'd like to acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Country Creatives. We're your hosts, Reese Hendy and Caleb Maxwell. Yeah, today we had an awesome chat with Megan Champion. Wow, you are in for quite a ride. This conversation and interview goes all sorts of places, doesn't it, Reese? Yeah, Megan has is on a new endeavour as a creative running a business called We Are Untold. And we dive deep into the backstory on that, how important it is uh, for the work she's doing, which is all to do with telling female stories, women in creative and non-creative industries. Yep, women in business. We'll let her explain all about her project that she's working on at the moment. But just a little spoiler alert, you need to stay towards the end of this interview because we get into some like some deep things, don't we, Reese? Mm, yeah, it was really eye-opening for us and hopefully for you too. Alright, Caleb, we're here with Megan Champion. Hey Megan, Hi. welcome to Country Creatives. Thank you, thanks for having me. It's very exciting to have you here. We are going to be delving into your story, a little bit of your background and what you are doing now. Wow, it's uh, this is going to be great. Tell us, to start with though, Megan, how would you describe your uh, creative practice and, and discipline to people that you meet? Probably uh, in a very long, convoluted way. Um, <laughs> so I guess my creative practice is kind of lots of things. And I think, you know, I'm probably just kind of a creative all-rounder. I have been called a jack-of-all-trades before, which was definitely meant as an insult. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I just, I guess I like doing lots of different things. I started out studying music, um, which was a great love of mine for a really long time, um, and acting as well. Actually, acting probably came first and then music. And then kind of found my way into backstage, uh, hair and makeup, costume, uh, and then fashion came after that. So I've done lots of different things. And then kind of throughout all of that, writing has been kind of a through line, I suppose, because I really loved scripts um, and you know, kind of character development and all of those things. And that's kind of what followed through to the fashion because I came a, became a copywriter for fashion and I loved um, talking about, you know, colours and, you know, different reasons for why people wear different things and, you know, the psychology behind stuff. Uh-huh. So then I guess all of those disciplines kind of combined, uh, well, I trained to become a trainer, um, so like a certificate for um, educator, but uh, never finished it, which is uh, probably another through line. Um, (laughs) When I was studying, I was working at a particular place and they had paid for my course and I did the course, finished it. Then we parted our ways and they had to pay the last part for me to get my certificate um, but they didn't want to obviously because I wasn't there anymore yeah. so I was supposed to pay but I decided to go to India instead <laughs> as you do <laughs> when not? you're like 25 why not so I did um, always thinking oh yeah I'll do that 
again one day and then those qualifications kind of changed and I needed to kind of um, redo some of the qualifications which all sounded a bit boring so I didn't. So I went into curriculum design instead um, and wrote curriculum instead of being an actual trainer and that's kind of what I did for a while as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so many different uh, disciplines that you've covered in your career so far, um, but I can see how they all kind of mesh together, except for the curriculum writing. Seems like a little bit of a sidestep. Yeah, uh, yeah. I actually just, I really love that, I suppose, because even, you know, doing a play or whatever, I would love kind of seeing what everybody else was doing on stage and their process and I always remembered everyone's lines like for the entire play not just my own like and I really loved stepping everything out so I kind of like that (laughs) direction and producing of things I suppose and so curriculum is kind of the same thing and I think some people are kind of natural teachers because they like explaining things and I really love explaining things and understanding things and I love people understanding me and I love understanding people (laughs) and I kind of get excited by that so I guess that's kind of where the curriculum thing kind of came in so it makes sense to me because I love the process of everything and that's kind of curriculum is about teaching that process yeah yeah and you mentioned you've done a bit of writing and that's been you know a bit of a through line you said throughout your journey there'd be a fair amount of writing and curriculum as well hey yeah that's right yeah and I love words the same with kind of color thing I love the psychology behind words like why did oh why did they choose to write that word or why did that person say that and I think that also comes probably from studying drama as well um, and understanding like characters and subtext and what people mean like, I love the thesaurus and finding out you know different words you know that mean different things I love words that have double meanings and um, yeah so that that part of writing as well classic wordsmith that kind of brings us to a very very speedily brings us to uh, your engagement and involvement here at the Emporium. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came into this community and why? So I grew up in Bendigo but moved when I went to uni. So I left when I was 17 to study at Melbourne Conservatorium to study classical music. And that was kind of the thing that you did when I was at school. If if you wanted to you know, go to uni, and especially if it was in the arts, you had to leave and go to Melbourne. And then never intended to come back. And I was in Melbourne for 20 years. And then... So my husband and I, and he's also involved in the arts, we decided to move back to the country and we were kind of choosing where to go. We ended up choosing Ballarat. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah, the competition, um, mainly because the uni was there, so Fed Uni, and there was just seemed to be more opportunity there. And also we kind of weren't sure whether we were going to be able to get jobs in the country. So it was quicker commute. So that was kind of the main decision for going there, main reason. But then when we were in Ballarat, well, lots of things happened. We also found out that the Emporium was being built. And I was like, damn it. But also we had three kids in 18 months. So (laughs) that happened in Ballarat, something in the water. We'd been trying for a long time um, and I had endometriosis. So that was um, kind of a long journey. And there was an amazing doctor there who is Russell Dalton, if you're listening. Shout out to Russ. He's amazing. Well, I mean, that changed my career progression, obviously. Well, hold on a second. I was um, scoping out your LinkedIn just earlier on and I noticed that you've put a block in there of parental leave, which is not a vacation or a holiday. (laughs) Um, You know, it's in in there as a reason, as a block of time. Can you tell me just a little bit about... Yeah, like yeah. That? Yes. So I'm five years through what is called the motherhood penalty, 
which generally lasts for 10 years. Um, so I've been on parental leave for five years. Um, and when I say parental leave, I've been doing lots of things. Obviously, as you know, I've been working on this project, but um, haven't been being paid as such. So it's, you know, technically um, parental leave. Um, and I also put pandemic leave in there because I had intended to go back to work in 2020. That was the plan, which obviously didn't happen for many people. So I put that in because uh, what happens for a lot of women and a lot of people that are out of work is you have this huge block of time um, where it looks like you're doing nothing, just, you know, twiddling your thumbs and not gaining any <laughs> skills. And so I deliberately put that in because I was going to be very clear about what it was that I was doing. And I think the world has kind of cottoned on to that as well, that mm. during the pandemic, there was a lot going on for people with kids mm. at home. So it wasn't, yeah, definitely not a vacation. You almost had teacher or like, oh, you've had young kids at preschool, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. a lot of parents could probably add, um, you that's know, right. homeschooling, homeschooling teacher, teacher for two it. years. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> 100%. And that, that's, you touched on a fascinating thing that, yeah, um, I, I really vibe with. I love the the value of what you gain out of being a, a mother and spending time raising kids there's so many skills that you yeah, learn. Yeah, that's right. There. Yeah. I personally am not a mother. <laughs> <laughs> Are you but, a dad? Yeah, I yeah, am. Yeah. yeah. I, I've got a little uh, 15-month-old boy oh, wow. and yep. another one on the way, which is the greatest joy. But being a parent teaches you so much. Yeah. And those skills are so valuable in the workforce. They're mm. so valuable in a creative practice they're so valuable personally aren't they yeah and that and there's there's two points to that there's so many studies that are done about children's development and the first three years of their development is you know the way that their brains grow is kind of the most important development throughout all of childhood mm -hmm. so it's not obviously what they learn because under three you know you kind of just learn in the basics but it's actually how they learn that's the important thing so how they learn in that zero to three is how they learn for the rest of their life wow. so that is such an important you know skill exactly yeah. that um that mothers and you know primary carers whoever is taking care of that yeah, child yeah but also an important skill for our child carers that we're paying that when we send our kids to kinder and that's a really huge thing that I'm you know really passionate about is that we are paying these people that are raising the next generation our children they're yeah. kind of laying the foundation for the rest of our children's lives and they're getting paid $21 an hour yeah. you know mm. sometimes yeah. um, which is what you get paid to stock supermarket shelves uh, just for that to be happening in this day and age still um, it's such an undervalued skill um, mm. and experience that it takes and I you know the stuff that, that when my kids bring their reports home from kinder the level of detail that they have to go into and I can and I mm. can see with my children you know what their teachers are spending time with them and it's just it's not it's not babysitting I think a lot of people think for childcare it's just kids running around crazy with paint and you know but it's not yeah. they're actually teaching our kids yeah um, that's that's truth you're speaking truth there so I kind of railroaded uh, Caleb's question initial question there but I think it kind of plays into the overall chat because um, just to get us back on track you were in Ballarat mm, yes and you've now let's just skip to the part where you've moved to Bendigo sure which is uh, how recent 2019. Okay. When we moved to Bendigo, and we'll, I'll try not to go off track here, but there was lots <laughs> of reasons um, for moving to Bendigo. Number one being that we did have three children under 18 months. But also, when I was pregnant, I slipped over and broke my pelvis, pulled Oof. my pelvis apart. So um, I needed 
help. We didn't really have any support in Ballarat, any family. So we moved to Bendigo for that and had absolutely no idea of what jobs we were going to get, what Dave was going to get. With the kind of the sight that the Emporium was happening and I really kind of felt like, yeah, it's happening there. We're just going to wing it and hope, you know, hope for the best. So we did and best decision, obviously, um, because then the pandemic hit and we would have been in Ballarat with, you know, no support there. Mm. So since being here, yeah, the... The Emporium has kind of been my anchor, I suppose. So obviously I saying I did want to go back to work in 2020, that didn't happen. But in 2021, I applied to be part of the incubator program and I had an idea of what I wanted to do. And a lot of that did have to do with the pandemic that, you know, as every creative felt that our skills weren't valued or needed at that point in time, which is ridiculous because mm. obviously it was the world was crying for that at that particular time. Mm. And I was really passionate about talking about the fact that the creative arts are valued in so many ways um, for mental health, obviously, but kind of every way that you learn and the skills that you have that are just so vital to life, but also work, you know, with understanding people, communication, storytelling, like storytelling for business is such an important thing. And that's kind of, obviously, there's a lot of people talking in that space at the moment. That was kind of what my project was going to be about when I first applied for Incubator. And then when I got here, it kind of evolved. Obviously, I was going through my own kind of story at that time being a new mum navigating the world of um, not having any control over you know the pandemic mm-hmm. <laughs> and what that kind of meant for me in my life and also there's things that you don't know until you know obviously you don't know until you become a parent that mm. when your kids are sick which is like all the time you have to stay home mm-hmm. wow and it's like a lot <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things that you just, you don't know until you're a parent. And you also don't know that you don't want someone else to look after your kids when you're sick. You want to look after them and all of those things that you have no control over. So that was kind of all happening at the same time. And obviously another huge thing that happened before that, but it was still in the back of my mind, was the Me Too movement and so much space talking about women in the creative arts. You know? And then when I got to the incubator, it was basically all women except for Bailey and it was there was I think 10 of us so nine women and we were all kind of of a particular age there was some girls that were younger um, but mostly all mums and we were all kind of saying the same thing oh I kind of I've had this career and I've done this and I really just kind of want to find myself or find you know legacy of what I'm going to do um, but I'm not really sure and I've got a bit of imposter syndrome and mm. and I was listening to these people thinking oh my God, you're so amazing. Why are you Why are you feeling like that? Why are you thinking that? And I realised that, wow, we all kind of feel the same way and we've all had this stunt in our, you know, creative practice and our careers and we're all trying to kind of step out. But it's this kind of double-edged sword, I guess, is that when you become a mum, you feel like you've got so much creativity and your brain is like buzzing and, you know, because there's like hormones and caffeine and, uh, and you've got so many ideas and it's just this amazing time where you feel like you can literally do anything. And I think for me, and I don't know if it's the same for a lot of women, but for me... Being a mum was the first kind of job that I had that I was, I am the manager. Like, I am the king, the captain, the, well, I should say queen. Nobody else can do my job better than me and nobody else can take that job away from me and nobody knows my children better than I do. Like, and I own that space. And that's the first time I've ever felt that. So it kind of is crazy because it, you know, you suddenly have all this power, but you also have no power at the same time, (laughs) you know, and you have all this creativity, but you have no time for creativity. So it kind of just feels like this... I want to say cage but I don't want to, it's not like that because it's mm. also very freeing and amazing and, and a wonderful experience so it, it's not it's 
you know, I don't want it, it's yeah. not a terrible experience. But it is, it does feel like a bit of a cage. Um, and I'm talking to those women, I just, that's when my story kind of changed. And I was like, okay, my project now is um, concentrating on females in the creative arts. Come on. This is great. You have just given us so many things to talk about. I want to rewind a little bit for those listening who don't know what the incubator Oh, Caleb, is. Yes. you read my mind. I was totally going to say that. <laughs> the same thing, which Amazing. is great. We're in sync, Reese. <laughs> All right, so Megan, tell us a little bit about Emporium Creative Hub's incubator program. What is it? It's basically a program for creatives who have an idea that they want to incubate. And I've never actually kind of, you know, because I like words, incubation and like the egg and the growing. and oh. <laughs> How fitting. I know. So it's, I think it's a 12-week program and run by Emporium, but the and amazing Leah Satori, who is um, just an incredible mentor and woman. And we kind of go through all the business side of of having a creative practice and a creative business then a lot of it is actually just about nutting out your idea Um, and we worked with Lisa and Jason from Minds at Work work. and they are also like wow amazing Um, and it's about kind of you know being around this group of all creative people with all different ideas but sharing all these ideas and um, allowing them to incubate and grow and then kind of coming up with a more kind of clarified idea and a business plan around that idea and then pitching it at the end and I found the whole process amazing I think it was a very strange and like perfect time for everyone because we had all been in lockdown and a lot of us obviously as I said a lot of us were mums we were kind of you know at home with children and in lockdown and for me I I had been previously at home for the three years prior as a stay-at-home mum and hadn't really had any time in the outside world and then bang into lockdown. So it was the first time I was like spending time with all of these adults, having adult conversation. So it was kind of like a burst of energy and yeah, the whole the whole experience was amazing and the ideas that kind of came out of that and also the collaboration and mm. friendships that emerged from that too was, yeah, was an amazing experience. Yeah, alumni, uh, incubator alumni, yeah. love it. Um, it really is such a good way to network with so many people that you would never have met otherwise yeah. with such like diverse backgrounds and interests. Yeah, so awesome. And I was really interested to hear you said that you came in with maybe one idea on what you wanted to mm. do and then the people that you met in the program kind of informed you and changed your idea a little bit to create a project called We Are Untold. Yes. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, so I was just really intrigued the fact that there were so many women in the group. Then talking to a lot of other women and a lot of other creatives, I just kind of got the idea that there are so many kind of women who do stop their careers um, to have children. So then I started doing lots of reading and, and it's not obviously it's their things that everybody kind of knows and I knew before but I didn't it didn't really connect before and I didn't really understand so when I say I read like I read a lot and I'm not an expert in any of it but I just my goodness it's kind of it's crazy reading when you actually dive down into that it is crazy readings. I basically started the whole journey thinking about 
female representation in art. So visual art was what I was kind of concentrating on, mainly because uh, when I first had the idea, it was going to be a visual art exhibition because that was kind of the only thing that I felt was achievable during a pandemic Mm -hmm. because it's something that could be shown um, online but is also there forever, not like a live performance. So it's like if, if those artworks are created and something happens and people can't go and see them now, they can see them hopefully next year or whenever we were going to come out of this pandemic. I don't have a strong background in art. Obviously, I love art, but I really know nothing about it. (laughs) (laughs) So that was interesting in itself. Uh, Yeah, I just started reading. Obviously, we know that females weren't allowed to attend art school until I think it's like the 1800s. So there's there's not a lot of art um, from women that we know about but there are lots of people that are writing about this space at the moment that there were actually a lot of female artists who were actually well known in their time but are just not in our history books for some reason nobody mm. nobody um, knows well, people don't know about them because they've just been left out of the history books so they've been kind of untold mm. hence where the word comes from once you start reading something all of these other things come up Obviously, we know cinema. I know that you're very interested in cinema, Caleb, um, is not uh, a female-dominated space. And just looking at all of the, kind of all of the arts and the media, this, there is the stories from women are they're not there. Mm. We we don't hear a lot of stories about women, and if we do, a lot of the time they're actually not told by women. They're written by mm. men, so it's a completely different perspective. Yeah, and that started to really intrigue me. Um, and then obviously because of the pandemic, there has been a lot of media attention on women working at home and juggling motherhood in Korea and the motherhood penalty and the gender pay gap. So that then also became a lot of other reading that I had to do as well. And that's kind of driving the project. So because a lot of these stories are untold and they're not in the history books, how do you go about finding them and like learning on a deep level about the the stories that you want to tell? And also how do you What's your method of telling these stories, like on telling them? Yeah, yeah. How do you do that? Well, unfortunately, there are going to be many stories that we just won't know about. There's actually an amazing podcast um, about female composers whose music was never written down. So we, we, know, oh, wow. we know about the composers and we know that they existed and that they had amazing written, um, scored, beautiful music compositions that were actually played at the time, but because they were deemed not important because they were women they actually haven't been written down so we'll never hear those oh wow so there are Mm. people that are trying to recreate those what they imagine they might have sounded like Mm. but obviously they're never they're not written down so we'll never know them not Um, men though please tell me it's not men (laughs) recreating these (laughs) maybe um (laughs) and that's the same for artwork um but they are finding a lot of artwork but a lot of it is obviously done from you know through history a lot of it is just done by people that are just digging them up and trying to find out as much information as they can and there and there is information out there for me I guess for this project it's about women in the present and I do I definitely want to talk about women um, from the past and we will be talking about women from the past that have inspired the women in the present but my the whole drive of the project I suppose is to make change for women now and the future and by doing that we'll be telling stories through through podcasts but also through filming interviews and then a female artist will be creating an artwork to kind of represent that story so that artwork will become the legacy and the kind of female representation in art for the future so telling those stories that will then have that lasting you know legacy effect um for the future so that's the idea of the project so Um, you've got like this this project is a podcast 
a little mini doco and an artwork that goes together with uh, each story. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Wow. And how many stories are you going to be telling? I want to tell as many as I can. So the project at the moment is um, going to go for about four years. And that's because I want it to lead up to the Commonwealth Games and feature um, female athletes um, in 2026. Wow. And the reason also for it going for so long is because I want to have as many diverse stories as possible. Um, So I want to tell as many different stories from different women as I can and obviously each story will take time so this is probably only going to be about three a year Um, so we're looking at maybe 12 to 15 in the end and how I also really want it to work um, because as I said I'm really interested in the value of the creative arts and what that can bring to the business space is that we'll be featuring women who have done something in the community and women in business, women who work in the public and private sector but also activists and mothers as well so that we are then kind of infiltrating every kind of you know sector and part of our community and the whole point of it is that the business women who are speaking so obviously there's a lot of amazing incredible um, business women that we have in Bendigo that have been are doing incredible things but the idea is that that work that artwork will be represented at an office space so that it's then kind of talked about within that business culture to hopefully kind of change the workplace culture because we're talking about female stories and uh, women in business and it's that representation that younger women can see and think oh wow you know this person from Bendigo is doing this amazing thing maybe I don't have to move to Melbourne or I can move to Melbourne and go to uni or do whatever and come back and I can make a life and make an impact in Bendigo and I've got these role models to kind of um, you know look up to and learn from and it's also about yeah getting that artwork out to as many different places as possible it's a lot a lot of the time it's creatives and people that are passionate about art that go to see exhibitions and artwork Mm. but it's the other people that aren't necessarily choosing to go that we need to tell these stories to. So I really wanted to make sure that there was um, an impact and a change that was coming from this artwork. And that's why having it represented in workplaces and business is really important because I want these conversations to be happening. Yeah, I like that. I um, I had wondered how much of the general public actually go to exhibitions and for, like actively push themselves to learn new things through art. So I really like that approach of people have to go to work. Mm. Um, so let's put the art where the people are. Yeah, um, that's right. And also that's a- in like male dominated industries as well. So mm. to have like a female artwork, and that's the other p- part of it as well, is that there'll be a QR code. So you'll be able to link to the um, podcast and to the film. So when nice. you see the artwork, when you want to know more about it, you can actually hear those stories. So you're actually seeing what that is representing and hearing what that is. Is representing. I love that because you, how often do you view a piece of art and that you know there's beauty in in finding and your own meaning through that. But how many, how often do you want to go? Oh man, I wish I knew the backstory of this. Yeah, that's right. Yep, and that's um, yeah. So to have that kind of in a workplace that is male dominated, um, and that's the great thing for these businesses because there is a lot of um, businesses at the moment that um, are choosing to be more diverse um, and they want to have those female stories, but they might not you know have any kind of way of getting that out there or getting that across to have those those stories and that artwork um, representative of that is is great for them as well Mm. i've got a bit of a a tricky question and Mm. feel free to answer answer as uh, much or as little as you want on this topic but i was wondering about the business aspect behind this concept obviously you want to run it for quite some time 
and for it to be successful and I'm assuming that involves some kind of financial success. So who are the partners in the project? Will the will the businesses who are displaying the work be financial contributors or I'm wondering about how, how you set up as a sustainable creative yeah, yeah. practice? Yeah, so that was um, really important to me as well because um, obviously talking about the value of the creative arts is that I don't want artists creating work in the hope that it's going to sell. Um, so mm. that's not how it's going to work at all. Um, so businesses will actually sponsor the artists. We can do it in two ways. We can do it where um, a business may have a female employee or CEO who will be the kind of subject of the stories and they'll be they'll talk with the artist. So the interviews will be um, a female in business alongside a female artist and they'll just basically be sharing their stories kind of like what we're doing right now mm. um, and what I love about that is that the women in business will be kind of learning about women in creativity because a lot of the time mm. we don't kind of integrate um, you know the creative arts sector with the public and private sector it's kind of very separate and mm. I love that they'll be learning that from each other so the businesses can sponsor um, the artist because they're obviously then going to own the artwork so they're basically just paying outright for the artwork so mm-hmm. the artist gets paid directly um, but then the artist will also own the rights to that work so they can sell the prints if they want nice. um, so that was really important to me to make sure that the artist is benefiting from it because a lot of the time um, artists will be commissioned to do something um, in the hope that it sells or they'll be um, you know having a an exhibition where they're paying for the exhibition and hoping that people come along to view the artwork um, and buy it, but it, it may not happen. And I didn't really mm. kind of want to create a project that's making artists poor. That's mm. kind of not what I wanted to do. So that requires sponsorship from businesses. Um, and as I said, I'll be approaching um, businesses that are have females in the lead, um, but also um, male-dominated businesses that want to represent female stories. And if there are no females that are working there, what I would really like to happen um, is for them to sponsor a female in the not-for-profit space. So a female that may not have the funds to tell their story um, are being featured and that's how we get those kind of diverse stories um, out there. Yeah, awesome. And how do people get involved? Do they just hit you up directly or? Yeah, so um, I'm going, I'm putting together my pitch deck at the moment um, and I'll be kind of approaching businesses um, next year. So at the moment I'm working on my website. I've just received funding from City of Greater Bendigo and also Creative Victoria to start the project. So that's an amazing plus so that I've actually got some funds there to um, at least start the project. And I'll also be going for um, some other funding, which is more based on the organisational because obviously I'm starting We Are Untold um, as a business but the actual project is Women of Gold and that is because that will be celebrating um, Women in Bendigo. Um, cool. So there's kind of two two sides to it um, and the sponsors will be obviously kind of sponsoring the project but as an organisation um, We Are Untold will be a not-for-profit. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'll be looking for kind of um, yeah funding for a not-for-profit. That's amazing. There's um there's a little bit of value that I think we can pull out for the listeners in your journey in getting to this point uh, with your business uh, as a creative practice. Well, my experience and Reese's experience, uh, for the most part, has been you know we we develop something to that someone pays us to do, right? It's a, a, a money for services exchange. But you're setting up a not for profit and. 
I want to know about your uh, establishment journey and how the process and the, uh, a little bit of some maybe some key learnings of the process you went through to gain funding from Creative Vic and City of Greater Bendigo to start this thing. Well, it's applying for grants. Um, so luckily, obviously, I love writing, um, but I also had so much information and background into why this project was needed. Um, so I have like a full essay on the value of the project but also the business um, that I was able to kind of attach to those um, funding applications which basically I guess hits every single um, dot point in Creative Vic's strategy um, but also City of Greater Bendigo because there's so much talk about diversity in the workplace and getting women back into work and the motherhood penalty and you know how how we can change these structures Um, but I guess coming from my project's point of view, um, doing that in a way that you're also kind of benefiting artists um, and women in art is an added bonus to them because obviously there's lots of things that we can do in business and from a political point of view, um, but tying it in from an art point of view is something different. So that's uh, kind of, you know, how I went about applying for the grants um, is kind of, you know, hitting all of those dot points that I needed to. It is actually a very needed and necessary space and how I I suppose I kind of think of it is that you know the creative arts sector is responsible for a lot of the time for education but also um, for history like that's how we learn about our culture so when when we're teaching kids you know about the history of the world and of humans we go to museums and we you know we study our history Um, and at the moment we don't really have that history from women um, and we don't have that female representation in our galleries and in our museums. Um, So how can we be teaching history about humans if we don't have that other half of the story? So that's the process that I think that, you know, to be responsible for telling history, for artists to be responsible and for us as a sector to be responsible for that, we need to show the whole story, um, be sharing those stories from women, about women, but by women. And that's for every single sector. For the film sector, I think the female writers, I think it's about 17%. Mm. Um, for This is for big budget films. Um, yeah. And I think for basically the whole kind of backstage production, it's around, it's under 25%. And, you know, when we talk about female and male artists, it's something like a woman earns 10 cents to every dollar that a male artist earns in the art world, which is, yeah, crazy. And also when a man signs his artwork, it increases in value. But when a woman signs her artwork, it decreases in value. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and there's just so, there's so much, this mean, there's so much information on on everything and I've completely digressed. What what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) The process of, you just just spurt gold. You've said some really great things about um, aligning what you're doing with the right grant uh, and I, I suppose you are very uh, fortunate that there is a value for what you value mm, yep. at the moment. Yeah. Um, I, think, yeah. I think it's really awesome that um, you've – this is an obvious issue, like the pay mm. gap and gender equality, and you've just found a really practical way to yeah. start addressing mm. it. And yeah. then there's – like for organisations who – share your same values but don't know how to implement a strategy like you've just given people a really easy way to say well yeah we believe in that let's this is um, the how yeah this is how we and can we get an amazing artwork as well so kind of yeah, yeah. lots of boxes i think that's probably you know 
if I could share anything as well for other creatives is is to always just think about the outcome. Like, what is it that you actually want? And I think I probably do that in most things in life. Like, you know, whether it's just communicating to people or the groceries that I buy, whatever it is, <laughs> is it, well, what am I actually, what's the end game, you know? Yep. I don't really start anything unless I know what the end game is mm. um, because... I mean, that might sound terrible because there are a lot of people probably that are just dive into it and they come up with this, all this amazing inspirational stuff. But time for me, like I should, I need to get that tattooed. I need time on one arm and moderation on another. I'm not a tattoo person, just, <laughs> just putting it out there. So it's probably not going to happen. But time to me is like obviously the most precious commodity. So um, I don't like starting something if I don't know where it's ending up because I don't want to spend my time on something that is not my purpose. So when I started the project, I really, I was really passionate about an outcome and that outcome really, and it's it's such a huge outcome. So in my tiny little way, yeah. <laughs> by having these conversations in the, work, in the workplace, it's number one is um, valuing the creative arts. But number two, um, and and the most important outcome to me is having those those conversations in the workplace, so that we can kind of create that flexible work, more dads taking parental leave, and changing the the world of work and the structures that hold our society together that just don't work in this day and age that we found throughout the pandemic. They just don't work, and we need to change them. And through going all of this discovery about female representation in the arts, what I've kind of realised is that there is no value for women in society and what women do, getting back to talking about what we were talking about childcare before, the roles that women play and the, the things that they contribute to society, they're not valued because we don't hear the stories. History and how we learn through going and seeing artworks or going to the museum, those stories have been labelled as important and that's why we learn them because mm. that's why we go to those museums and galleries to see those because we're saying these are the stories from history that are important mm. um, and this is how we learn about our culture and this is what our culture is and what we continue. Mm. So if we don't have any stories from women, then we're saying that those stories that women aren't important and then their con- contributions aren't important. So what women do, having babies, raising babies, education, healthcare, social work, those kind of traditional feminised roles are not seen as important. And we can see that because they're not paid the mm. way that they should be, so they're not valued. And then this cycle keeps going because they're not paid, they're not valued, they're invisible, so therefore they're not a good story. So why would we represent those through art when we don't value those stories? So it's this kind of this cycle that continues to happen. So until we start valuing those stories, we're not actually going to have any value for those mm-hmm. feminised roles and for the contributions that women make in our society. So we need to start talking about them and and sharing the stories and sharing the artwork and seeing things from women's perspectives and for those things to change and for those structures to change and we're not going to see how important changing those structures are so you know that parental leave and flexible work until when we're not going to change those until we actually value the reasons why we need to change them mm. and that brings me to my question for you guys oh yeah. hold on questions, questions for us yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you had us completely stumped yeah. on that last. We were like, "Wow, we're taking yeah. that. Like, we like, have. What like can we add to that? Mic drop. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think we're done. So, um, Caleb, you've got a baby and a Ta-ding. baby in the way. So, did you take parental leave? I did. Yeah. I was in a very blessed position to be the owner and leader of a company that uh, was able to support me taking longer leave than what is paid obviously the government pays two weeks to blink of an eye weeks yeah which has just changed so that's oh has it how is it how much is it now 
Um, I should know that, but I don't. More than two weeks. Yeah, I think it's. Oh, that's great. I mean, parental leave. Um, I think it's a shared thing, so you can choose. Okay. You can choose between the partners. Oh, yeah. there you go. Well, I will have to discover that uh, for child number one, two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I took two weeks, um, and then I took another two weeks, uh, so four weeks all up. Yeah, and how valuable was that for you and your partner? Yeah, it was incredibly valuable. Uh, you know, every woman's birth journey is different, but Sammy really uh, valued me being around uh, for that time, so that she could recover um, without the full responsibility and weight of uh, looking after new child. And, you know, that was our first yeah, first baby. So, first yeah, yeah. yeah, everything was a shock, a yeah, yeah. big, steep learning curve, even though we did a lot of um, active preparation. But, but you can never you can never prepare, <laughs> never, can never prepare <laughs> yeah. for, you know, what, what it is uh, really like. Yeah. Um, there's just things you need to learn by doing and mm. by being a parent. So um, it was crucial. That, do you think that you have kind of valued um, what she does more because you, you did it yourself and you've seen it? Yeah, for sure. I I was the one that um, changed a lot of the, the nappies. I was nappy master for the first couple of weeks um, and uh, it was my joy to do that. Um, but... I have a lot of respect for what uh, what she does and we've both gone on a bit of a journey of what her role in our family looks like and she's really leaned into that homemaker role and I hate the term stay-at-home mum uh, or and specifically when um, the word only is put before mm-hmm. it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or just, just a stay-at-home mum mm-hmm. or only a stay-at-home mum. There's such a... A low negative. value mm. and a negative connotation put on that role. Um, I call Sammy a expert homemaker yeah. because that is what she is. And raising uh, our children is one of society's most crucial roles. Mm. It is the most important one. Yeah, <laughs> more important right. than any other one. That's right, because you know, without without good children, we don't have a good society. Holy, you know? <laughs> how do how do people good. miss that? I don't mean the word good because all yeah. children are good, but yeah. well rounded um, and healthy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yes, um, from that time, uh, it was really yeah really crucial. If I didn't have that time, I wouldn't have even being close to having a, a preview or a look into what full-time parent would parenthood would look like. So, and I think just uh, the the building of our parental journey, doing that together instead of, you know, leaving her to do it all on her own was just, uh, you yeah, know, invaluable, mm-hmm. necessary. And I guess, so my next question is, so you, you took four weeks off work. How would you feel about taking two years off work? Oh. Yeah. What would, that, what would that mean for your career and you know your your purpose? Yeah, great question. I I would not be cool with that yeah. <laughs> to be honest. It's hard. No, it's a, yeah. and it's and I think that's the thing is that I love that you're being really honest. Um and women also say the same thing. It's such a hard thing for a woman to say uh, you know, I don't like being a stay-at-home mum. Mm. I want to go back to work. That's mm. like, what? You can't say that, you know. What kind of person are you? Of course you love being at home with your children. But mm. it is really hard to then have this kind of dual purpose, and that's how it feels. It feels mm. like you're splitting in two because 
I I chose to be at home with my children, um, and that was that was the plan, you know, for the first three years, which is, as I said, it's extended to five years, and I loved every moment of that. And mm. I've and both, you know, Dave and I, we've chosen that we'll I'll only work part time. That's kind of going to be how it goes because I want to spend that time with my kids, and I'm really passionate about you know having. Um, every possible thing that I can to do with building them as, you know, the next generation. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that other people that choose to work full-time aren't doing that. They are. They're just doing it in a very stressed way for me. I just, I just don't know that I um, could handle all of that pressure. So hats Ooh, off yeah. to those people that need to do that and that have to do that. And there are so many um, people that don't have any choice that, mm. you know, both parents have to work full-time. But that is the, the next thing is that how mm. would you feel about not being kind of, I suppose, in control of, you know, your career as mm. such. Only being able to work, so after that first two years, only being able to work part-time, being paid 55% less for 10 years. Ooh. So 10 years of your career, because that is the average motherhood penalty that every woman faces. And Ten I'm halfway years. through wow. mine at the moment. 10 years, yeah. Wow. Yeah, completely oblivious to this. So, um, yeah, enlightening you know, questions, what you're talking about. I think I'm in a pretty unique situation in that, you know, having started something myself, I would kind of, if it was, you know, a choice that was laid before me to be able to not do what I'm doing um, and still uh, have some financial support from maybe Sammy was we'd swapped or something and she was starting a company and leading, leading that. I feel like I, I would... I would totally own and rock that that role as being a full-time father, but I would be coming back into work after, uh, if if that was my journey, coming back to work and wanting to do that, uh, which I probably would because I've got, you know, I, I feel like I know what my purpose is and yeah. all that sort of stuff. I would be I would be fighting against a, a pretty hard against uh, getting paid less. That wouldn't be happening on my watch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. and yeah. To hear that that is, you know, I, until this conversation, I had not heard of this term, mm. um, the motherhood penalty. Yeah, yeah. Ten years, really? Ten years after the birth of the first child, yeah. And it's longer, for obviously, for women that have multiple children. Um, and because most people, women obviously go back to work part-time and the way that society is structured, again, going back to not valuing um, those roles that are seen as more female so education healthcare a lot of those roles are part-time so that they work around women's schedules of being a homemaker and they're the roles that aren't paid as much so when you go back into work part-time not only are you working less hours you're getting paid less per hour why well because we don't value women we don't value mm. their contribution and their skills mm. um, so for some reason we have chosen to believe that um, skills such as caring are possibly an innate skill that women mm. are born with, mm. that they haven't really learned this skill, so it's not valued. Um, I was just wondering what we can do about, like how can us men, like I consider myself a feminist, I think where there should be equal rights. Like what can we actually do at a, at a practical level on a day-to-day -to, -day to maybe like, you know, yeah, end yep. inequality? Talking about it. So this is exactly what we're doing right now is talking about it. Um, but also, you know, when you are in a relationship, um, and I think this goes for every relationship, um, you know, regardless of gender as well. It's when two people are coming together, you need to talk about these things. So who is, if you are going to have children, who is going to stay at home? And are you both going to stay at home for a certain amount of time? Is one person going to be the homemaker or are you going to share those 
those roles. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's communication um, and deciding that, you know, if, if somebody has taken that two years off, is it that then the, the next person does it for a certain amount of time? Um, and also looking at the roles that you also do in home. So a lot of the time, and this is a generalisation, but um, I also, I know a lot of people who, when the one person, generally a male, not to <laughs> kind of be stereotypical, but um, gets home, you know, they've had a hard day at work and they might need to have a bit of a relax um, or they might go out with friends on a Friday night or they might need some time away because it's been hard working. And we all know that feeling. We all know what it's like to work, you know, full time and it is hard work. But parenting is 24 hours, you know. So why does the woman not to get that time as well, that time to do their creative practice or whatever it is that they want to do, that headspace, because parenting, as we know, especially at the beginning, you know, you're up all night, you're not sleeping. And that's the other side of things that we don't talk about as well is that the mental health of people that are doing that caring at home for that first, you know, sometimes up to a year, the mental health of that person, if they are the only ones that are doing the overnights because the other partner needs to get up for work. Mm. When you become a parent, you need to talk about those things because it's a two-person job. One person can't be responsible 24 hours and the other person goes to work 40 hours a week. It's just not the way the world works now. You're, you know, When you're a parent, you need to co-parent. There's no primary care and secondary care. It's co-parenting. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know that it, it was... It should have ever been the way the world works mm. optimally because two people together can do more together than they can apart. And that requires a partnership, right? Yeah, that's There right. needs to be – and that I, I don't believe that means that it needs to be 50-50 in every single area of life because that, that's not the most optimal way of working in a, par in a partnership. But to have someone doing 100% – of something and another person doing 0% when it's something as crucial as raising your children, the children are both, you know, yours equally, yeah, right. mm -hmm. um, to have an absent father um, in, in raising kids, incredibly damaging to the children and the mental health, you say, as well, of, of the, the wife or the partner. I think as a society, we need to lean in a little bit, as you say, talk about it, but go, all right, this is what we think's acceptable. Let's just look at it a little bit objectively. Let's look at it as if we don't know and discover how does this thing work best? Yeah. How is it, how can we structure something so that both parties here feel empowered to do what they're doing and serve the other person. Yeah, that's so right. So that you're not you're not doing your individual things to the best of your ability and and hoping that they they kind of contribute to the overall betterment of the family and the rather than being so separate. Yeah, so separate and siloed. Think about how do I as a as a working professional uh, as the as the breadwinner maybe or if if you're you know both working think in myself how do i contribute to building this family and how can i support my partner mm. and if you're both doing that then both people are going to feel supported if yeah, you're doing right. it well and i think what's important about that too is the word contribute as well because being a homemaker um, actually does support our economy. So massively, if you don't have to pay, you don't have to pay for that 
care outside the work or for a cleaner or a cook or all of those things. You're you're contributing to the economy. And that's part of where the value of women, you know, has been kind of devalued in that way that um, they estimate that caring, so the work, domestic caring, um, that the work that is predominantly done by women makes up half the GDP, $650 billion a year. But, But it's not included in the GDP at all. So... That part, we are basically saying that women's contributions, that caring that they provide, is not valued because we don't value it. Wow. Yeah. So it's that it's that that word contribution. You know, we they are contributing to society, to the world, to yep. that household. Yep. Um, they're just not being actually paid. But it used to be, you know, back in the old old days, that was you know you bartered for things and you mm. you know you grew your vegetables and you sold them and you swapped them and care part of that there was a whole part of care that came into that contribution of society but we're not seeing that anymore it's just a invisible and it goes back to that kind of the devaluation of women because we're not valuing what they do yeah you know and the other side of um telling the stories like what you were you know, t- talking about talking about it and mm. not having everything so separate mm. is this idea of mothers groups which you know are very valuable and I loved my mother's group but why do we talk about it so separately why do we not talk about the journey of motherhood and what women do and what they go through why do we not talk about that in an inclusive setting so that everybody understands because it becomes this little secretive club, (laughs) this little secretive group where nobody Mm. actually understands or knows about what's going on and we are therefore devaluing that as well. But it just means that there is no communication between between partners and families um, to actually have any idea of what's going on. And, like, you know, I remember at my mother's group we used to joke about, you know, how little sleep we'd had to the point where it was dangerous driving. And there was Mm. one day we were talking about it and I had literally nearly had a car accident the day before and I said, why are we laughing? It's not funny. Like, it's actually really not funny. I've got my three kids in the back of the car and I'm nearly having an accident because I haven't slept, like, more than two hours for five (laughs) nights in a row. That's actually not funny. Like, you know, and having those conversations just in this tiny little group of all women is just, that's what I want to change. I want to talk about every aspect of a woman's life out in the open so it's not a secret so that we all understand how important it is um, of supporting partners in going through that journey together and the mental health and also what that means for the relationship coming out the other side as well. If you've had those separate career versus homemaker or separate lives and not talking about that at all or sharing those things what happens to your relationship as the kids grow up you know is that yeah. is that why and i'm not saying it is but is that why there is so much divorce because you're leading separate lives you wow know? you know what um someone shared this <laughs> amazing analogy <laughs> or picture with me the other day and i feel like your project um well firstly your project is something that our society and our world is crying out for there is so much it is such a hot topic right at the moment in terms of womanhood gender uh family those three things are under such contention um and the the value and the openness that you're bringing with your project is so required it is so necessary but the the, this picture that someone's shared with me imagine (laughs) Um, opening up a can of worms and each worm has another can of worms inside their mouth. 
<laughs> and that's exactly how it feels. Like, as I said, I felt like I you know, fell down a rabbit hole because there is, I mean, I will never get through all the reading in oh, my no. entire lifetime. Like, oh, no. there is so much information. But the, the scary thing is, is that a lot of the kind of government policies mm. and a lot of the um, reports that have come out, like, they, I mean, realistically, they started in the 70s. Yeah. Um, but then there's been a lot more reports that were huge and that came out in, like, 2010. And it's 2022. So it's crazy. There's a clock that you can see um, that's on a lot of kind of women's agenda um, websites that tells you when they believe that we will achieve gender equality. Mm-hmm. And it's 130, between 100 and 135 years as it stands for what we're doing right now. Right. (laughs) Well, hopefully a project like yours helps to bring that time period way down in in scale. We've pretty much come to the end of our time chatting with you, Megan. It's been a real eye-opener and just amazing to hear firsthand from you about your project and the passion that you bring to it and educating us on some of the issues that women face in life. Um, It's really eye-opening and I hope that uh, a lot of our male listeners out there have got something from it as well as the female listeners in how they can uh, become a part of projects like yours or potentially lead their own projects into yeah. the future. So congratulations on what is going to be an amazing project. Um, and I just wanted to ask you before we wrap up, how will people find this? Where should they go to engage with it? Um, and sort of when sh- when can they start doing that? Sure. Um, so at the moment, we are untold.org um, is my website. It's just a holding page at the moment um, until all the other bits and bobs are up there. So it does have my email though, so you can contact me via email. If for any reason that um, you can't do it through that, you can always get hold of me through the Emporium because I'm kind of always hanging around here. Yeah, but please contact me with anything, even if it's just you know more information that you want. Um, and that in, is for artists as well, because obviously there will be um, a lot of artists that I'll be collaborating with um, throughout this. All right, excellent. And I reckon, Kayla, we should do another crossover, maybe what because you're starting a bit of a podcast journey as yeah, well. Yeah. So once you've maybe got a few podcasts under your belt let's do another crossover and see how that's going thank you and i really appreciate your candor and openness today as well um because i kind of threw you in there but um that's something that's also really important to me as part of the project as well is having male allies because it's guys like you that want to talk about this that are going to help the change because we can't make change for women unless we make change for men as well so thank you for being part of that so true thanks megan Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Country Creatives Podcast with Reese Hendy and Caleb Maxwell. It's produced by Amy Chapman with the wonderful support of the Emporium Creative Hub in Mitchell Street, Bendigo. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, subscribe to future ones, or maybe contact Reese and Caleb, you'll find everything you need at emporiumcreativehub.com.au slash podcast. A new episode drops every two weeks, so we look forward to joining you really soon.